Well, let me, let me see if you guys want to travel back with me to elementary school. Okay, that's only been a couple years, I know. But elementary school, do you ever remember getting substitute teachers? Now, were you guys ever mean to your substitute teachers? I know my class sometimes got kind of mean to a couple substitute teachers. But, you know, you, you knew a substitute teacher was coming in, and they were just a sub, you know. And they would tell you to do a home, you know, I want you all to do this assignment right now, and I'll be right back. So if you ever had that, maybe not just with a substitute teacher, but did you ever have that experience where the teacher said, you guys do this assignment, and I'll be right back. How many of you, while the teacher was gone, dutifully did your assignment? Some of you did. Some of y'all didn't. Some of y'all did it. All right, some of y'all, okay, overachievers. I did mine. All right. But then there were others who were talking and were, who were hitting spitballs across the room, you know, and were laughing and giggling. Now, if you did your assignment, when the teacher walked back in the room, how did you feel? Good, right? <laughs> Teacher asked a question, I'm going to know the answer. And of course, you were secretly hoping that they would pick on the people that didn't do their work, right? I hope they pick on Dan, because Dan always goofs off when the teacher's gone, you know. And so maybe Dan will get in trouble or things like that. But if you did your work, you really felt good. I mean, when I was, um, my dad went back to college in later years and one of the benefits for me was he taught me how to study uh, for a test. And um, because when my dad went through college the first time, he quit the semester before he was supposed to graduate. But anyways, uh, he went back in his early 30s, and this time with a whole different attitude, and he graduated like a 3.98. So he had, by that time, grown up and realized, okay, this is how you do college. So he taught me how to study. So I didn't go into tests usually afraid unless it was math. But other than that, if it was history, theology, got it. I knew that stuff back. Throw it at me. Go for it. I can do it. Okay, because I was ready. But then I had those times like you did when I wasn't ready, like pop quiz. You ever have that? Pop quiz. Oh my gosh, I haven't been studying. Now there was a girl in our class named Janet. She always knew it. I mean, she, I don't know, the girl's just like a brainiac, you know, so she always got it right. But the rest of us are really freaking out. Here's the thing. When you don't do what you're supposed to be doing, or the big word is procrastinate, we're always caught off guard, aren't we? Not ready. Somebody wrote this poem. Maybe you all resonate this. He said this, I spent a fortune on a trampoline, a stationary bike, and a rowing machine, complete with gadgets to read my pulse and gadgets to prove my progress results, and others to show the miles I've charted, but they left off the gadget to get me started. See, that's how most of us are, right? We're going to exercise, we're going to work out, we're going to eat right, and then we procrastinate, and it never happens. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're on the home stretch of 1 Thessalonians, a short book, and then we'll be jumping into 2 Thessalonians. And uh, here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is addressing, as you know by now, a very young church, uh, as we looked at. Last week, in a lot of the passages, a very persecuted church, a church going through a lot of things. And so they're very fearful 
about the future. And apparently somebody had already told them that Jesus had already come back, and that kind of had them concerned as well. And, uh, and then they were also worried about, what about those who had died? Okay, if Jesus hasn't come back, what about those who have died in Christ? What happens to them? And so they were really anxious about Jesus' return. Because apparently when Paul was with them, even for the brief time, one of the big topics of his conversation is Jesus is coming back. So as we saw last week, the whole letter is laced with references to the second coming of Christ. But in chapter 4, as Paul wraps up his letter, he really gets into teaching about the second coming, and he'll get into it even more in Second Thessalonians as well. And so as we looked at last week, Paul said, okay, for all of you who are really scared about those who have died, and Jesus hasn't come back, by the way, Paul makes that clear, just let you know, when Christ comes back, they're going to be resurrected, they're going to be coming back with Christ, their body's going to miraculously be met with their spirit, and they're going to be reunited, and then we will be caught up together. Now, you've, how many of you ever heard of the word rapture? Anybody heard the rapture? Okay. This is where we get it from. Uh, the word, the Greek word, which has what harpazio was translated into Latin. If you remember, we may not remember, but um, after the Greek, the next big translation was the Latin Vulgate by Jerome. And that was the translation that the church used. The Roman Catholic Church was primarily everything was in Latin. And so the word uh, harpazio was a rapturo in Latin. So that's where we get the word rapture. And it means to be snatched up, to be caught away. And so that's where we get the whole uh, concept in this passage, along with a few other supporting passages, is where we get this uh, idea of being caught up, of being raptured. And so we know that, that we who are still alive, if we're here, when Jesus comes back, we're going to be snatched up and caught up in the air. So again, we're going to be with the Lord in the air. And, and so Paul ends that section, chapter 4, that we looked at last week with, hey, comfort everybody with these words, okay? Even though you may grieve over those who have passed away, you don't need to grieve as those who have no hope because they're with Christ and one day Christ is coming back and their soul and their body is going to be completely put together and they're going to be there and we're going to be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air. So comfort one another with these words. Now, so he tells them kind of what's going to happen, but he never answers the question of when. When is Christ coming back? When is this rapture going to happen. And so if you were reading this letter, hearing this letter being read, that would be your next question, right? So Paul tells me what's going to happen, but I want to know when's it going to happen. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to take a look and Paul's going to talk a little bit about answering this question here. So here's what he says in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1. He says, about the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written about to you. So here's the deal, all right? Paul didn't know when it was going to happen either. He told us what was going to happen, but Paul didn't know. He said, there's nothing really to be written about this because I don't know. Here's the thing. When Jesus was on this earth, guess what? Jesus didn't know either. Now, that's sometimes kind of hard for us to understand. It's like, well, isn't Jesus God? Doesn't Jesus know everything? Yes, but when Jesus came to this earth, God in the flesh, God, Jesus, self-limited his knowledge. So he didn't know in human form when he was on this earth everything. 
You say, why not? Because the disciples ask him, right? If you know that, Matthew 24, 25, you know, the disciples are like, hey, when are these things going to happen, you know? And Jesus said, hey, not for me to know, only the Father is in heaven. Why, didn't, why did Jesus self-limit his knowledge on that? Here's why. Because if Jesus said, well, guys, <clears throat> it's going to happen in the year 2000. That's when it's going to happen. What would the church have been doing for the last 2,000 years? Huh? Not, well, well, you know, it's not going to be the year 2000, so I'm not going to worry about it. All right? So Jesus self-limited his knowledge on this precip- precip- thing so he wouldn't be lying to his apostles. He said, it's not for me to know. It's only for the Heavenly Father to know. I'm not going to tell you. Paul says the same thing. I don't know. I can't tell you because here's the whole point of this. You need to be ready for the rapture. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. He says this, For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord, and that's that day when God's wrath is going to be poured out, will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction comes on them like labor pains come on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So the reason Jesus didn't tell us when, and the reason Paul doesn't know when, is because we need to be ready for the rapture. We need to live in constant expectation. And, and he paints this picture. He says, when they say peace and security, and then sudden destruction comes on them like labor pains on a woman, they will not escape. Now, notice when, when they, who is the they? Who is the they that's saying peace and security? Is it believers? No. It's unbelievers. When the world is saying peace and safety, when the world is saying, you know, hey, everything's good, every, you know, peace, peace, let there be peace, he says suddenly that is when it's going to happen. Now, remember, and we forget this because we're Americans and all that stuff, we forget a lot of things. Like, th- let me just give you a shocker. Jesus was not a white guy, okay? He was not a white American. He was olive skinned, dark skinned, Middle Eastern man. All right, we forget that. He did not speak English, by the way. He spoke Aramaic. Okay, so we just forget those things. So just a reminder, this is written to people who are in the Middle East. That's where this is written to originally. What is a phrase that you and I hear a lot on the news? Peace in the Middle East, right? We hear that all the time on the news. There's always trying to be peace in the Middle East. I think all of us, except maybe Ray in here, remember Jimmy Carter. Everybody remember Jimmy Carter? Ray, that was before your years, okay? Uh, incidentally, Jimmy Carter said that we were going to run out of gasoline by the year 2000. But anyways, that's just another story. Anyways, if you remember Jimmy Carter, uh, <clears throat> Jimmy Carter, one of the big things of his presidency, other than inflation, was the, uh, the Camp David Accords. You guys remember that, the Camp David Accords, when, when he got uh, Menachem Begin uh, together, and they had these two frameworks, and it was called, the first framework of these two things that were part of that Camp David Accords was called a framework for peace in the Middle East. So Jimmy Carter saw as one of his things, and of course later after his presidency, he saw himself as a broker for peace. And he really tried to have peace in the Middle East. Of course, later we had President Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, if you may remember, presided over the Oslo Accords, which was, again, was this thing between Israel and the Palestinians that was supposed to bring peace in the Middle East. 
Let me tell you, there has never been peace in the Middle East. I did a little history search here. Israel became a nation in 1948. Since Israel, which is the only ancient nation to ever come back, by the way, <clears throat> since Israel came back as a nation, there has definitely been no peace in the Middle East. Let me just give you a quick rundown of what's happened since Israel's come back as a nation. In 1940, which was in 1948, between 1947 and July 1948, there was the Israeli War of Independence. Then there was the reprisal operations from the 1950s and 1960s. Then there was the Suez Crisis in October of 56. Then there was the Six-Day War in June of 67. Then there was the War of Attrition in 67 to 70. Then there was the Yom Kippur War in October of 73. Then there was the 1982 Lebanon War. Then there was the South Lebanon Conflict from 1985 to 2000. There was the first Intifada, 1987 to 93. The second Intifada, 2000-2005. The 2006 Lebanon War the Gaza War, the Operation Pillar of Defense, Operation Protective Edge. All these things have been going on in Israel. All these wars constantly. And, you know, just recently, and, and a lot of times it happens we just don't hear about it, there's constantly being rockets fired into Israel from the Palestinians. There is no peace in the Middle East. <clears throat> and so Paul is saying there's going to be a day, though, when apparently humanity says, Peace! We've got peace! And then suddenly, that is when it's going to happen. So the message, which is a paraphrase, I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases it. He said, here's his paraphrase of these first three verses. I don't think, friends, that I need to deal with the question of when this is all going to happen. You know as well as I that the day of the Master's coming can't be posted on our calendars. He won't call ahead and make an appointment any more than a burglar would. About the time everybody's walking around complacently congratulating each other, we've sure got it made, now we can take it easily, suddenly everything will fall apart. It's going to come suddenly and escapably as birth pangs to a pregnant woman. Paul says, I can't tell you exactly when, but I'm telling you when people are saying peace and safety, then, then it's going to happen. So be ready for the rapture. We don't know. They constantly he's saying peace in the Middle East. It's still not there, but be ready. Let me tell you this. The rapture from what I get from these verses will be sudden <clears throat> and it'll be unexpected. Paul says in verse 2 it's going to be like a thief in the night. Alright? It's going to be imminent. Alright? <clears throat> now, when I say imminent that means that the rapture can happen at any moment, at any time. There is no prophecy that has to be fulfilled for the rapture to happen. There is no prophecy that has to be fulfilled for the rapture to happen. Now, <clears throat> there may be other signs that are taking place that point that we're getting closer to it, but we're not waiting on anything to be fulfilled for the rapture. When Jesus went back to heaven, the rapture could have happened the next day. We're not waiting on any signs to be fulfilled. It is imminent. Let me give you an illustration. If your child tells you, I'm going to come home and visit mom and dad between sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Once Thanksgiving passes and your child's not home, but you know they said they'd be there at least by Christmas, you know that their return is imminent. You know that your child any day could walk through that door and say, Mom, I'm home. Dad, I'm home. But you don't know when. Now, if you're like most of us, you're going to be ready, aren't you? 
If your child, you know, it's after Thanksgiving and they haven't come home, you're like, okay, we got 25 days. They could be here any day. You know, you're going to have cookies and milk out every night waiting on them, right? You're going to have the house swept. You're going to have, y'all aren't going to do that. You're going to have all sorts of things waiting on your kid, right? So that when they come home, hey, I'm so glad you're here because their homecoming is imminent. Jesus said this in Revelation chapter 3. He says, I will come like a thief and you have no idea the hour that I will come against you. Here's what he said in Luke. You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So the rapture is going to be sudden. It's going to be imminent. It could be any time. Be ready for the rapture. The rapture will also precede destruction. If you go back to verse 3 in our text, the attitude of the unbelievers is peace and safety, peace and safety. But Paul says, while they're saying peace and safety, it will come upon them immediately. What's the it? It's the day of the Lord. It's the wrath of God will be poured about on humanity. Now, that word destruction is not referring to annihilation. It is referring to the breaking up of peace and security and the outpouring of God's wrath. Amos 5.18 in the Old Testament talks about the day of the Lord will be darkness and not a day of light. In Isaiah, he talks about it as destruction from the Almighty. Jeremiah says it will be a day of vengeance. Paul says, if you go back here in verse 3, it's going to happen suddenly. Unbelievers will not be expecting it. Nobody will escape, and it will be a time of destruction. That's what's coming to this world. When? Don't know. But here's the good news. As we saw last week, if you're a Christ follower, you're not going to be here. Because you're not going to have God's wrath poured out on you. I don't know about you, but I'm happy about that. Amen? I'm not going to be here. God's not going to pour out his wrath on me. Why? Because we'll be caught up. We'll be raptured. We'll be caught up in the air to be with the Lord. So, you might say, well, Jim, whew, since I'm not going to go through the destruction and I'm not going to have God's wrath, then I can just sit back and relax. No. Paul says, I want you to live in expectation of the rapture. Look at verse 4. He says this. <clears throat> he says, but you, brothers... And again, he's talking to Christ followers, are not in the dark, for you know this day will overtake you like a thief. So you're not in the dark. Now, you don't know the timing, okay, but you're not in the dark as to what's going to happen. God's going to pour out his wrath on the earth. You're going to be taken out of this world. You're not going to endure God's wrath. And then he goes on, he says, for you are all sons of light and sons of the day, and we do not belong to the night or the darkness. Now again, Paul, he has two things. He says, you as believers, you have the light. And again, that's an incredible thing. When you become a follower of Jesus, it's like, as I tell people, you like put on glasses and you see the world differently. Suddenly, this is not all there is. This is not all there is. We went to see a, a movie yesterday, and I was reflecting on it. I tend to do that a lot. It was called Yesterday. You may have seen this songs about a guy who suddenly he starts playing the Beatles music, and nobody's heard of the Beatles. And, uh, and so in the movie, he's, he's playing these songs, and he becomes this major, major um, artist, you know, because he's singing the Beatles music, but nobody ever heard of the Beatles music, okay? It was like one of these weird things that happened in the world, and suddenly people have not, well, I won't give away the moody, but they hadn't heard of the Beatles, and so he's playing Yesterday, and people are like, that's the greatest song ever, you know? And, and so, so he gets an agent, and the thing about this agent, all she cares about is money. 
We're going to make you money. We're going to make you. And of course, he's got this conflict because for whatever reason, nobody in the world except him realizes that he didn't write it. So he's sitting there thinking, okay, I'm taking credit for something I didn't do, but nobody knows that I didn't do it. But the whole thing that I was seeing about this agent was it was all, you know, he goes to a big fancy house in California, and, you know, and, and she's just, you know, we're going to make money, we're going to make money. And all she's thinking about is money. In fact, at one point, she even tells uh, a, a girl in the movie, I won't give it away, she says, I don't care about his personal life, he's just a product to me. You see, to people who do not have the light, this is all there is. It's all about money. It's all about how much can I make? What can I do? How can I, how can I get along in this world? Paul says, you guys aren't like that. This is not all there is. You know that. You know this is all temporary. You are walking around in the, you see it. You have the glasses on. We don't act like people who don't see what's going on in this world because all they think about is the here and the now. You guys know more than that. You are sons of the light and sons of the day. You don't belong to the darkness. You don't belong to the light. So you need to live differently. Don't live like it's all about now. Be ready for the rapture. So here's what he says. Here's how we're supposed to live as sons and daughters of the light. So then, we must not sleep like the rest, like everybody else who's in darkness. But we must stay awake and be serious for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Again, if your child said, Mom, Dad, I want to be home between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and they don't show up at Thanksgiving, you know that their return is imminent sometime between Christmas. Aren't you as a parent going to be looking every day for them? Aren't you going to be looking out that window hoping they're going to be coming home? You know, you, you would be, aren't you going to be having the house swept all the time, keep it picked up, things like that, because you can't wait for your children to come home. So here's what Paul says. You are people of the light. You are people of the day. So don't be spiritually lethargic. Keep looking out the window. Keep being ready. Keep being ready. Don't be asleep. Okay? And again, that word sleep, Paul used it earlier to talk about death, but in this section, it's a different word. He's not talking about death. He's talking about being spiritually lethargic. Make sure that you're ready for the rapture. Don't be a lethargic person. Don't be spiritually lethargic. And what's a spiritually lethargic person look like? Well, they don't share the gospel. They don't spend time in the Word. They, they don't live the Christian life. They may be a Christ follower, but they're kind of just asleep. They're just kind of lulled in. Paul says, don't be like that. Be somebody who is awake. A person who is dead, spiritually dead, they're not looking for the return of Christ. All they think about is the here and now. Don't be that way. Live looking to the future. Any moment. Listen. Listen. As you go throughout the week, here's my challenge. Do I want Christ returning when I'm doing whatever you're doing? Would I want Christ to return now? You see, if we start thinking that way, a lot of us, there's things in our lives we'd cut out. Because like, I don't want Jesus to come back when I'm, you know, no. Am I living in a way that if Christ came back today, I'm ready to go? If he caught me back today. And again, Paul says, I want you to be on alert. And let me tell you something. I know you're like, Jim, 
That was 2,000 years ago. You mean we're supposed to be on alert now? Yes. Because it's imminent. Right? He can come back any time. I think for Christians, and it's easy to do it. I get it. We all do it. After a while, you just kind of get numb. Admit it. How many times have you heard the tornado sirens go off? You're like, eh, sure, I'll be okay. Right? Because we've heard them lots of times, right? And the tornado didn't come through our house. So how many times have you heard the tornado siren and you just kept watching TV? It's easy to do. But let me tell you something. Even though that was 2,000 years ago, and even though Jesus could have come back right then, because there's nothing we're waiting on, I would argue that even more so today, 2,000 years later, there's a lot of reasons to be ready. First of all, Shortly after Paul wrote this, uh, the temple was torn down in A.D. 70 by the Romans. In A.D. 135, they were kicked out of Rome, the Jews, and basically the, the nation of Israel ceased to exist. And again, so a lot of Bible scholars, when they would look at passages about the second coming, when they would read about Israel, they would say, oh, that's metaphorical. Because nobody ever heard of an ancient nation coming back to life. So Augustine and all these theologians say, well, that's just a metaphor that even though Revelation talks about Israel, it's not like the nation of Israel. It just stands for a metaphor for this nation of Israel. Well, 1948, that kind of changed. Because in 1948, Israel came back as a nation. Now, is Israel a spiritual nation? Nope. (laughs) They're pretty secular. Okay? They're not following the Messiah. But they came back. And so suddenly, and there's always been a handful of scholars that have said, no, Israel's got to come back. This seems there's going to be a time when they come back. Now, again, we could have been raptured any time. But it seems that the nation's going to come back. In 1948, they came back. There are so many things that are happening today that makes it so that, again, Jesus could have come back at any time. But now, a lot of things that people used to say were metaphors or allegories, we can say, no, this is real. For example, Revelation. You have these two witnesses that are preaching in Revelation, and it says the whole world will see them. Until recently, that didn't make sense. But guess what? You can go home on your TV, turn on a TV show, and you can watch what's going on in Israel right now. You can get online. You can talk to China. You, you, the world is, I mean, you know, we can, those things are happening. Daniel talked about in the end times, knowledge will increase. Well, somebody kind of gave this little illustration about knowledge. And it's basically up to 1845, human knowledge, if you were to kind of measure it this way, expanded by about an inch. Because really when you think about it, in the ancient world, there wasn't a whole lot of advancements. From 1845 to 1945, knowledge expanded about three inches in 100 years. From 1945 to 1976, our human knowledge has expanded the height of the Washington Monument. Human knowledge has quadru... I mean, it's beyond anything our ancestors could have. Daniel talks about people traveling to and fro. Today, you can hop on a jet and be in Europe. Tonight. We can be in China in 12 hours. I mean, back in Paul's day, that would have been thought impossible. So we see things today in our lifetime that are like, 
holy cow. You go through Revelation, talks about people not being able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. How is that going to work? Well, I can tell you right now, and way can work. Don't know if this will be exactly how it works. But people actually are getting RFID chips implanted in their wrists voluntarily at this point. But basically, you can have an RFID chip in your wrist. It's a little dinky thing about the size of a piece of rice they can plant under your skin. You walk in, the store scans you, and you walk out, and, you, it can, it, and we now have products with RFID chips. And in fact, Amazon Go store in uh, Chicago, I was hoping to visit, but we didn't. As I understand it, you can go in there and just buy, get things off the shelf, walk out the door, and it scans you, and it debits your account. The technology, folks, is there. The technology is there. For these things that people used to say were allegory, metaphors. Hey, it's right there. Be ready for the rapture. So I would argue today, if at any time, we need to be ready. Because all these things are in place. Don't be spiritually lethargic. Paul says, but since we belong to the day, since we see it. And again... As a Christ follower, when I read the headlines, I read them through the lens of biblical prophecy. The unbeliever doesn't think about it. When I look at it, Israel, Palestine, all that stuff going on, I see it through the lens of prophecy. When I see these advancements, I see it through the lens of prophecy. I see it moving. Let me just tell you, the goal of a lot of our politicians is one world government globalization. It's moving in that direction. It's going to happen. The Antichrist is coming. He may be alive today. I don't know. You know, when I was at Bob Jones, they'd have no way of knowing, but I remember them telling us, yours, we believe, is the terminal generation. I don't know. But it's very realistic, very possible that the Antichrist is actually alive today. He just hasn't been revealed. It's all in place. So Paul says, since we belong to the day, since we walk in the light, be sober, put on the armor of faith and love on our chest, and put on the helmet of hope of salvation. Again, the breastplate covered from here down. And again, Paul says, walk in faith, live in love, self-sacrificial love, Have that hope of salvation as you go through life. Be ready. Don't be spiritually lethargic. Be ready for the rapture. Here's why. Because your destiny is waiting. Verse 9. He comes back. For God did not appoint us, that's believers, to wrath. If you are alive when Jesus comes back, I hope I am. It'd be pretty cool, right? I don't know. But if I am, I know one thing, I'm not going to endure the wrath of God. I know one thing, those who are alive, who do not know Christ, will. Since I don't know when he's coming back, I need to share the gospel with people. Whether they accept it or reject it is between them and God. But our mission here on a church, as a church, is to shine the light of the truth of the gospel. Okay? I'm encouraged I won't go through the wrath of God. 
but I certainly don't want my friends to go through it and my neighbors and my family. So don't be spiritually lethargic, okay? Your destiny is waiting. When Jesus comes back, he did not appoint us to wrath. We're going to be raptured. We're, we're going to be, the destiny of, is escaping God's wrath. That's one of the destinies we're waiting on. We're also waiting on the destiny of salvation through Christ. Ultimately, we're going to be in heaven in glorified bodies. We're not going to have any sorrow, sickness, pain, or anything. Again, Paul says, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we're awake live on this earth or sleep dead, we will live together with him. Now, one good news. If you are a lethargic Christian, you're still going to heaven. But Paul says, I don't want you to be a lethargic Christian. Be alert and be ready. And again, just like he ended the last chapter, he says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are doing. So another destination is the destination of encouragement. Here's the thing, Warren. You and I need to live in expectation of Jesus' return. It could happen in our lifetime. Again, it could have happened the day after he ascended to heaven. <clears throat> but, as we look at the course of human history, everything is really lining up just as we're watching in real time, like, wow, this is incredible. Wow, things are in place to have a global world government. It's falling into place. Wow, we have the technology that every eye can see him. Wow, an ancient nation did come back to life. Wow, these things are right in front of us. So if there's ever a generation now more than ever, it's us. We need to do what we can to reach people with the gospel, to share the gospel, to live the gospel, to tell our brothers and sisters, our friends and family about the gospel. Are you ready for the rapture? As a believer, are you living as a lethargic Christian, just kind of going through life? Yeah, I'm a Christian, and maybe you are. That's great. But if you're just, you know, living in sin, you're not ready for the rapture. Be ready for the rapture. Are you living and ready for the rapture? Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. First of all, if you're a Christ follower, are you living in a way that you are ready for the rapture? If today, Jesus immediately catches us up, and it happens today, are you ready? Or are there things in your life that you would be highly embarrassed about? Maybe there's things in your home, on your computer, whatever, that you would be highly embarrassed if your children found them or your friends. Then we need to live ready for the rapture. Get rid of those things. Are you living in sin? You're not ready for the rapture. We need to be living in such a way that when Christ comes back, we're ready. Are you living in faith? Are you living in love? Are you living in hope? Are you walking around as a spiritually lethargic Christian? Lord, right now I pray if there needs to be conviction brought on our hearts, that you'll bring conviction. And Father, right now where we need to repent, we'll repent. Help us, Lord, to live in light of the rapture. It could happen before we walk out the door today. I don't know. 
Father, I pray that we will not be spiritually lethargic Christians, but we will live in light of the rapture. Lord, if there's somebody here watching today, maybe via Facebook, who doesn't know Christ, I pray that today they'll repent of their sin, turn from it, turn to Christ, ask Him to save their soul. I pray that you'll open their eyes as they look at the world events around us and the acceleration on the human timeline and these things that I mentioned today, that they'll see that, wow, things are falling into place any moment. So, Father, I pray there's somebody today who's not living for you, that they'll repent and live for you. If there's somebody that doesn't know you, they'll repent and turn to you. Father, I pray that we'll be living ready for the rapture. 